I'm going to a rock concert with an old flame, and I think there's a chance we may reconnect. Let's show him what he's been missing. No, he's seen me recently. He knows. Oh. But his wife hasn't seen me in a while, so. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you remember when the trailers for this movie came out, but that exchange was in all the trailers. It's so good. Welcome to Your Pick, a film podcast. I'm Geneva. And I'm Tatum. We are two friends who love movies and love sharing them with each other. Each week, we take turns picking a film that is close to our hearts and talk about why it moves us, to tears, to laughter, and everything in between. We celebrate the craft of filmmaking, as well as the unique and personal ways we find meaning in the movies we watch. All right, Tatum, welcome back. Good to see you again. Less than 24 hours after we recorded our previous episode. Yes, I was about to say exactly the same thing. Be proud of us, everybody. We are committed to this podcast. (laughs) Indeed. Uh, Through the cold, through the the, the aches and the pains. to To the listener, this is how dedicated we are. We recorded one yesterday and then one today because we don't want to fall off schedule. (laughs) alas but I, i'm sure this will be the highlight of your day <laughs> yeah um have you watched anything in the last less than 24 hours that you want to report because i have not watched anything <laughs> nothing nothing of note so yeah all right all right well today on the show- all righty then <laughs> Um. Yeah. Well, let's just dive right into the movie then. <laughs> riveting, Genuinely trying to think if like there's anything content. that I can. Uh, yeah, <laughs> riveting content. Genuinely trying to think if there's anything that that I've like watched recently that I didn't talk about, but uh, I don't think so. I have been rewatching with my roommate um, the Daisy Jones miniseries mm. from earlier this year, which I still maintain. As someone who has never read the book, so I, I can't compare it to that. The miniseries I enjoy, but there are some glaring um, casting issues, and also the music is not quite good enough for <laughs> the <laughs> universe explanation of how big that band gets, which is oh, no. a little frustrating. Um, but I enjoy it anyway. It's it's I like stuff from that era and. I don't know. The songs are pretty catchy, even if they're not the best. So mm-hmm. anyway, that's I guess that's the one thing that I can report. <laughs> nice. I mean, if we're really, really scraping the bottom of the barrel, I've kind of been rewatching Veep. I watched like oh. two episodes this week. So there we go. <laughs> oh, very nice. <laughs> I love Veep. That's so a, I've only watched a couple, a handful of Veep episodes, but I've enjoyed them a lot. It's it's a good show. I feel like the character of um, Selena Meyer just... I connect with her so much in terms of my extreme frustrations with like, <laughs> with life and things not going well. And the way that she speaks to people is just like, I don't know. I connect with it on a on a profound level. Do I speak like that to people? No, absolutely. I do not. I would never talk to people that way. But the way that <laughs> is that what's just, going on within your head when you interact with people? If I wasn't filtering my thoughts, yes, but I have a filter, which is a good thing. That's Selena Meyer, nor anyone on that show, none of them have <laughs> filters for anything, which is why it's great. 
The episodes that I've watched are all the ones with the Finnish prime minister, because as someone who is descendant of Finnish immigrants, I always have a feel a spiritual connection to that country. And Sally Phillips as the Finnish prime minister. I adore Sally Phillips. She's a great Mm -hmm. British comic actress. And she is just so funny in that role. I I love her so much. What is a I forget the name of that. Um that real that I don't think it's popular anymore, but that old game that people used to play on their phone. Oh yes, the where the she gives her one? the the Happy Birds clock. No, no, Happy Birds is that no Angry Birds. Angry Birds? The Angry Birds clock. <laughs> <laughs> and doesn't Selena so give good. her like a, a fish, a book of fish, or something? Yeah. Like that? <laughs> it's it's Angry Bird. No, a- Angry Bird. It's <laughs> like yeah. oh yes, I know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like the cheesiest looking clock. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good! I yeah, so those good. are some of my favorite episodes. They're mm-hmm. great. Yeah, she's like, we we Finns, we're we're very well known for our humor. And Selena's like, okay, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, so good. If you haven't seen <clears throat> Veep, I recommend checking it out. It might not be for you, but if it is, it's fantastic. Agreed. All right. Well, now we should probably dive in <laughs> without further ado. <laughs> I feel like we did an extra long what we were watching segment uh, last episode because of how long, like it had been a little bit longer since we recorded. So yeah, we'll, we'll make up for it this time. Yeah. All right. So today on the show, we're discussing the 2011 film Young Adult, directed by Jason Reitman, written by Diablo Cody and starring Charlize Theron, Patton Oswalt and Patrick Wilson. Young Adult centers on Mavis Gary, played by Charlize Theron, a young adult fiction writer in her late 30s. Although she was once the queen bee of her high school and currently lives in a nice apartment in Minneapolis, Mavis's life is on a downward spiral. She's divorced. The book series that she writes for is ending due to lack of sales. She is lonely, depressed, probably out an alcoholic. Probably? <laughs> she's definitely an alcoholic. 100% she's an alcoholic. <laughs> Oh, gosh, we'll get to it. But that scene where she confesses that she thinks she's an alcoholic to her parents and they're just like, no, la di da. Ha ha. Don't be ridiculous. Oh, painful. Uh, when Ma- Mavis hears that her high school boyfriend, Buddy, has just had a baby with his wife, Mavis decides to return to her small Minnesota hometown and scheme to win Buddy back. During her stay, she strikes up a strange friendship with Matt, a high school acquaintance she barely remembers, who is permanently disabled due to a vicious hate crime. Predictably, Mavis's attempts to lure Buddy away from his young family blow up in her face, forcing her to admit that she needs help. But is she actually capable of change? Um, this film, I have a, just have a short section about how this film came about. Um, Jason Reitman and Diablo Cody had been, um, by this point, uh, friends and collaborators for several years. Most notably, Reitman directed uh, Cody's script to create the the critically acclaimed 2007 film Juno. Cody, who um, was kind of uh, thinking about her own obsessions and, and the themes that connect her work about exploring adolescence and arrested development, began working on a script uh, about a woman who was unable to grow up, which became the film, the script for young adult. Uh, she shared it with Reitman, who offered to direct, and he was able to get Charlize Theron on board to star. The movie cost $12 million to make. It shot for 30 days, primarily in Minnesota and New York, and it did pretty well at the box office. It uh, grossed around, I think, uh, $23 million. Oh, that's so, not bad. Yeah, about double 
made back about double its budget, so pretty good. And critically, it was very well received as well. Um, in terms of my own relationship to this movie, I first saw this movie in college. I don't remember why. I think it was kind of, like I've talked before, college was kind of a, a big, me just sort of really starting to explore my movie tastes and just kind of watching everything that um, just looked halfway interesting to me. I really love Charlize Theron as an actress. Um, I think I knew Patton Oswalt a little bit from Ratatouille. <laughs> um, and the topic was just one that I, I found kind of interesting. And so I just kind of ra randomly watched it on a whim. And I was kind of immediately fascinated by this film and how dark and sharp it is. And the the way that it's a film that, you know, you're sort of, you have these really complex feelings toward Mavis. You sort of empathize with her at one moment, but also hate her because she's a terrible person, but also she's really trapped by these demons, sort of of her own making, but also, you know, in some cases she's, in, in many ways she's kind of um, beholden to him, to to them. And, you know, it's this kind of tragedy, you know, in in which this woman is just has the the resources to get out of her own way but is just per completely incapable of it and i don't know i just find that sort of uh really dark character study really compelling um so it's it's a movie that i find it's not an easy watch in the sense of you know these are a lot of really dark <laughs> um you know things that it gets into and um but at the same time, I, I've revisited it many times over the years. It is kind of a, I don't know, it's an easy watch in a sense. I don't know if I'm, I'm yeah, easy watch is not the right term. It's a movie I've returned to many times over the years. And I feel like every time I rewatch it, I get something new out of it. And I see new layers in it. I think this is a really really well-written film, and I think the performances are really excellent. It's it's a very intimate film, but I think it's all the stronger for that. And I think it also has a, a lot to kind of comment on about just the the shallow, materialistic, commercial realities of, of modern life um, in a really smart way. So yeah, that's my relationship with this film. What about you? Have you seen this before? Yes. So I saw this movie. I've seen it once before. I don't I have no recollection of when that was. It might have been around college, but I'm really not sure. Um, but watching it this time around, I realized that I didn't really remember much about this movie. I remembered that Charlie Theron was in it, and I remembered that Patton Oswalt was in it, and I remembered that Charlie Theron's character was depressed. That's all. Like that's all I remembered about it. It's really all you need to know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I also. I also felt like going in, I expected it to be funnier because for some reason I remembered it being a little bit more of like a comedy. Um, and so I think I was a little bit just, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I was just a little bit jarred and confused that it wasn't as funny as I remembered. Um, arguably, this movie's not really funny at all. Yeah. Um, it is definitely a dark comedy, if anything. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think I was just... It was just unexpected. I thought it was going to be a totally different tone and I wasn't really prepared for the tone that it was. Um, 
but yes, watching it this time around, these movies are kind of, they're not entirely related, but this movie reminded me of my experience watching the movie Edge of Seventeen. Um, I don't know if you've seen that, Geneva, but... The uh, the one with Woody Harrelson and H- Haley Steinfeld? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, I remember the first time I watched that movie, I just was like, I don't get this movie. I'm angry at this protagonist. Why is she making these decisions? Like, da 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 And then the second time I watched it, because I knew what I was getting into, I was really able to connect with it a lot more. And so... I feel like this is a similar situation where had I seen this movie once before, yes, but I kind of completely forgot about it. So watching it yesterday, I was like, okay, I'm not vibing with this, but I also feel like if I were to watch it a second time, I would connect with it a lot more. Um, So yeah, I mean, there's, there's interesting things here, but I think overall it was just harder for me to engage with it because it wasn't the tone that I thought it was going to be. Um, I think that Charlie's Throne's performance is what carries this movie. I think that if her performance didn't work, this movie would be a disaster. <laughs> um, but thankfully, if any role is in Charlie's Throne's hands, it's it's going to be it's executed probably very safe, well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I also particularly loved the costumes. Those are kind of the two things that stood out to me in this film that I really um really appreciated. So, yeah, I'm I'm interested to talk about it though because. While watching this, I did have the thought of, I really see why this is a movie that would connect with you. And so I'm interested to hear your thoughts in particular. Yeah, yeah. This is such a character-driven movie, which is something that I really appreciate about it. And it it really does live or die by the performances. Like, I think the script is extremely strong, but it's strong in part because it gives so much opportunity for the actors to play out nuances there are so many scenes where Mavis will say something really awkward to Buddy and you can just see these like 10 different emotions flitting across Buddy's face played by Patrick Wilson who I think is really good at this film as he's sort of like I I don't know where exactly she's coming from on this I don't know how I should react should I you know confront this directly should I just sort of ignore it should I play it off as a joke like what do I do and um, and vice versa. There are so many times when someone will say something and you can just see within Mavis, like all of these different kind of thoughts and reactions going on as she's trying to figure out what to say or do next to get the thing done that she wants to get done. And yeah, I think this is a really strong film for performances. Charlize Theron obviously is, you know, the whole film is centered on her. It lives and dies by by her performance and I think she's incredible but I think she's supported by a really strong cast as well I think Patrick Wilson's really good I think Patton Oswalt is really good Elizabeth Reeser is has a, a smaller role but I think she does really well as a sort of like um you know sweet girl next door who you could see how Mavis is kind of reading into her some more malicious intentions <laughs> um yeah, yeah, I think this is a really great movie for actors in particular, which is one thing that I really like about it. Um, let's kind of go just sort of loosely through the plot, and we can kind of use that as a um, jumping off point for other things, if there are other things we want to talk about. So we start, basically, there's this whole opening sequence of Mavis's life in Minneapolis, and it's a complete 
mess. <laughs> we <laughs> What makes you say that? <laughs> we see her her morning routine which is basically she has passed out on the bed face down with the TV on playing some sort of reality show. You know, clearly after a night of heavy drinking, she wakes up, she immediately chugs diet coke from Ugh. this giant 2 liter bottle in the fridge just straight up. Ugh. Um which is such a great detail. Just the the like the little shot of her she she has this little tiny dog and she puts like a, a packet of food out on the the um the balcony for it to eat and you just see all these other empty packets that she's not bothered to clean up it just tells you so much about where her mental state is at the moment um but she um yeah so she's a writer she's writing this book about this character named Kendall Strickland who's the like prettiest and most popular girl in her high school and she's mm -hmm. so smart and everything she does is right and she just wants to everyone to know how pretty and popular she is <sighs> um i like the detail of her like sort of half-heartedly doing like a, a wee fit kind of thing oh my gosh yeah that was great <laughs> yeah but honestly i watched that and i was like I feel like this is establishing a lot about her character, which is good. But what does it say about me that I need to have one of those in my home? So yeah, I'm like, honestly, <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I should be doing that. <laughs> She's got her own apartment. She does. She exercises in the morning. Yep. <laughs> Uh yeah. Um no, she's she's clearly not not doing very well. <laughs> uh yeah, so there's this this whole opening sequence. She also like she sees this email baby announcement from uh Buddy and Beth, you know, her high school ex-boyfriend and his new wife. Um they've just had a baby. She prints it out on oh her like the crappy printed, home printer I, that like barely works. So funny. It's such a like <laughs> It's such a millennial Gen X, like, th that sort of, like, older millennial thing to do, too. I feel yeah. like it's to print out that announcement and just, like, hold... I mean, this is 2011. We didn't necessarily have smartphones everywhere yet, but... Well, yeah. I also just love the way that it looks. You know how, like, when your printer's running out of ink and it only... <laughs> like, it, it had the stripes and everything. I was wondering, mm -hmm. I was like, how did they do that prop? They must have had a picture and, and like designed it specifically to look like that before they printed it. But I thought that was really funny. Yeah. It's like she it's goes so to good. all this trouble to try and make the ink work. And then <laughs> it just does not. And just then she doesn't barely. Yeah. Does she buy more ink? No, she just puts no. a little spit on it and hopes that works. A little spit? She puts a, lo a lot <laughs> of spit on it. Oh, man. I love how she like she goes out for lunch with a friend, except it's like, they barely seem to be friends. It's, yeah, they like knew each other heck? from high school, but this friend just like does not care about what's going on. And she keeps talking about like this baby announcement. And the friend's like, why do you care about like, this, why is this a, Why is this a problem? Like, yeah. you mean from this guy that you dated like 15 years ago? Yeah. What are you talking yeah. About? <laughs> she goes on this like this date with a guy and oh my gosh, worst date ever. Oh my gosh. Cringe. He's talking about how he was in Southeast Asia and it was like, you know, he was like working for like a school and it was like the most rewarding experience of his life. And she's just not completely she's not getting like, the vibe. She's like, oh, gross. <laughs> but they still go home together. Doesn't, doesn't he respond? He's like, well, actually, it was one of the most rewarding experiences. <laughs> and she's life. like, oh, yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> and I love how oh, that's gosh. just like automatically cut to this shot. 
of -hmm. the two of them in bed the next morning you know like there's no transition it's just like boom yep yep (laughs) it's some yeah it yeah i was watching Uh. it i was like so who's like whose apartment are they in and then she starts packing her stuff and i'm like oh she's in her apartment she just leaves with him wait what (laughs) you're gonna come back and find all your stuff gone girl (laughs) (laughs) yeah but anyway yeah i i think this opening is so effective in the way way to establish her character yeah establish her character in very little time it also just makes like i don't know I mean, she lives in this pretty nice looking apartment, but it's somehow the the cinematography and the framing just makes it look so like the color design. It just all looks so bland and beige, you know, just kind of gray and, and not interesting, which is such a perfect representation of her mental state at this point. You know, she's she's clearly very depressed. She's not really she's going through the motions of her life without any sort of feeling about it one way or the other apart from obsessing over this one thing which is her high school ex-boyfriend's new baby so weird yeah but okay so oh go ahead just to say real quick i one of the other things i really like about this opening sequence in terms of establishing her character i really like how we see both sides of her here you know we see the the drinking depressed side of her but then we also see her get all nice and dressed up for yes the state. very true and so it kind of from the get-go introduced this concept of she's really a mess but she's a very good actor at the same time mm-hmm. she's very skilled at pulling herself together mm-hmm. and putting on a performance for the people around her to hide how much of a mess she is. I mean, yeah. she looks incredible when mm-hmm. she puts, like, <laughs> my gosh, I was like, dude, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. How she, you know, there's that one scene later on in the film where she puts on, she puts all this concealer on her face. And I'm like, girl, that's not your color. But then by the end, somehow it works and she just looks amazing. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. What kind of magic is this? I don't know yeah. how to do that. <laughs> there's also the detail i don't remember if they start establishing it here or a little bit later on but the fact that she has this nervous tick where she pulls hair out of her head i forget what the there's a technical term for for that i forget what it is um but yeah it's this kind of like you know another sort of character little character detail that indicates that there's all this repressed anxiety that's going on so she's subconsciously picking at her her physical appearance but then later on when she's getting ready you know for the the for a particularly big event she has this giant massive hair piece that she puts in and so it's like all the thinning hair that she has because of this this nervous tick she's able to just conceal with basically no effort i feel like that hair piece is another one of those things where she starts to put it on i'm like girl that's not gonna look good but then she somehow styles it. I'm like, how do you how do you do this? Like, this is crazy. It looks so good. It does. Yeah, it does. Um, all right. So Mavis basically she wakes up with this guy. She's at kind of this downward, you know, this kind of low point. She sees the baby announcement, the terribly printed baby announcement again, and she just like yeah, just impulsively gets up, throws all the stuff into her suitcase. I don't think she even bothers to change out of her pajamas. <laughs> she just leaves the city. And um, she has this mixtape from Buddy, which is 
starts with this Why song. Why does she still have that? Why does she still have this? She's listening to this mixtape on a cassette and it's this one song. I should have actually I should have looked up what the song is. I meant to do that. Um hang on one pause for one second. I'm going to look this up. Well, while you look that up, I just want to say I found it to be a really interesting but clever way to kind of establish thematically what this movie is. The fact that, you know, once we start seeing the credits and, credits and everything, we have these really close up repetitive shots of all of these um, cassette tapes it, while this, you know, same song is playing over and over again. And I feel like it it really well established this idea of like she is stuck in the past because cassette tapes are not a thing anymore, you know, but we have all of these close up shots of these cassette tapes and it's playing the same song over and over at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so I feel yeah, like- she keeps physically rewinding it in order to just listen to this one song over and over, which, by the way, the song is called The Concept by a band called Teenage Fan Club. Um, But yeah, it's like it's a complete like the whole opening credits is this this cassette tape and this sort of idea of nostalgia of, you know, older technology kind of going back to mentally where you were in high school yeah it's like a it's like another version of who she is you know this idea of she's stuck in the past just like these cassette tapes are and she's also trying to relive the same moments and the same experiences over and over again which is you know reflected in the song being played so many times so many times so many times Oh my gosh. Initially, I was like, oh yeah, this is kind of a catchy song. And then after the first, I was like, oh my gosh, make it stop. (laughs) Like, I don't think she even listens to any of the other songs on this mixtape. It's just this one song like 15 times. That's so weird. Um, Yeah. Um, It's not weird. I I feel like weird is not a good word to use, but. Well, it's very, it's, she. She needs to move on. She has this very obsessive. Yeah, she has this very obsessive personality. This, you know, this fixation, which is definitely born out of the the mental illness that she's she's under undergoing um but yeah she's just fixating on these these things that make her feel take her back to the last time that she felt really happy and put together and on, on top of the world um she 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 gets to her hometown she checks into the local hotel and we have that great exchange where the oh, the gosh. like cranky teenage clerk is like is that a dog in your bag? And Mavis is like, no. No. Nope. <laughs> and the clerk is like, you know, we actually do allow small pets with a cleaning deposit. And the Mavis is like, good, because I have a small pet. In my vehicle. In my vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> and then the bag just starts like barking and shaking. <laughs> and then the and then the um the worker at the at the hotel, she's just like, I'll put you down for a pet. <laughs> like, yeah. She's like, I'm not even gonna get into this. Yeah. Whatever is going on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, How many by keys the way, do you need two? <laughs> and she has this little cutting like, are we expecting company? <laughs> Ugh, so not an appropriate question to ask. It's so rude. Oh, it actually reminded me a little bit of that um, that scene in Brides- Bridesmaids when Kristen Wiig's character goes to, oh no, she works at this uh, jewelry store and this girl comes in and they have this interaction between the two of them. Do you know what I'm talking about, Geneva? Have you seen that movie? It's been so long since I've seen Bridesmaids. Oh. I, I can't remember it off the top of my head. Yeah, it's like this ridiculous back and forth where... <laughs> I, I mean, I don't even remember all the quotes to it, but she's having this argument with like a 15-year-old girl and she's like, oh, I hope... I, anyway, I'm not going to go into it because I don't remember okay. the quotes. But anyone <laughs> I need to rewatch. listening to this who's seen Bridesmaids knows what scene I'm talking about. Okay. Cool, <laughs> cool, cool. 
cool. It's a great scene. <laughs> I do need to rewatch that movie. It's I don't think I've seen that movie since college. And I wasn't crazy about it at the time, but I think I would probably like it a lot more now. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily seem like your humor to me, but who knows? Maybe it'd work. Yeah, maybe it'll work better. I've also... We don't really need to talk about this now. <laughs> I was going to say, I've also all, all, often struggled oh, with like Kristen, Kristen Wiig. Yeah, that's Not right. that I dislike her, but she's kind of a... Sometimes she works, sometimes she doesn't for me. Okay, yeah. Yeah, anyway. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so then we get this segment of the story where basically Mavis has settled into this hotel room. She calls Buddy and like puts on this really like positive Hi, sounding buddy. Hi buddy in town <laughs> just this little real estate thing um yeah do you want to catch up like you know kind of pretending totally pretending she's just in town for something else but if you want to like catch up like I'm here just let me know um I, I love the fact that like while that conversation so so buddy calls her back and while they're talking, you see that Buddy is fixing, like, it looks like his um, his wife is, like, pumped some breast milk, and so he's fixing it <clears throat> to get ready, presumably for the, the babysitter the, the next day while his wife is gone, like, rehearsing for the, uh, her band, although we don't know that yet, but she's just, like, Mavis is, like, yeah, if you're feeling spontaneous, like, we could go out right now, and he's, like, yeah, I can't no. do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> um... One detail that I really love as Mavis, so Mavis then goes and like goes out to kind of the local bar to just kind of get out of the hotel room and, and drink, basically. The detail that I love is just her driving through town and looking at all these big chain stores with oh, just this complete mm -hmm. disgust on her face. And it just the way it evokes, you know, small town, suburban life and how completely taken and over it is by these big box chain stores you know the Kentaco hut <laughs> that she talks about uh there's like a Chili's later on she goes to Macy's I think the way that they use like real chains throughout this mm -hmm. film is really smart and really evocative I've you know it doesn't feel like product placement it feels very deliberate and very like well chosen I literally said out loud while watching this I was like I hate the Midwest. <laughs> uh, like I, I had such a strong reaction to that kind of compilation of all those different places. I was like, oh, God. it's just so boring and bland and they're all the same. And, you know, yeah. you've seen yeah. one, you've seen them all. Well, it like, I don't know, it, it rewatching this, especially because I always I tend to think of this movie as like, you know, one of the big themes in it is how deadening the suburbs are and, um, you know, how taken over it is by corporate interests. And there's just no place for kind of authenticity or anything like that. And this shot really puts you on Mavis's side, at least for a moment, in her complete disgust of her hometown and, you know, her feeling of that she feels consistently the whole way through. Of, Thank God I got out of here so I could, you know, move to this big city and have a life. But at the same time, like rewatching it, I'm reminded that the film doesn't portray the big city as any better. Like nope. the big city looks just as cold and unappealing as the small town. You know, in it in a certain way, I think it is it's not untrue that there are these soul deadening aspects of her her 
her small town. But at the same time, so much of this is Mavis projecting her own wants, desires, her aspirations, her feelings of what it means to be have a to be free to have a fulfilling life onto this place where. I mean, we'll see. It seems like Buddy and Beth have a perfectly nice life. You know, they have hobbies. They have a community of family and friends who love them and support them. And, you know, Mavis is really projecting every time she's like, Buddy is so unhappy. He's so, you know, it's like a hostage. He's so stuffy, stuffed in and, you know, everything that we wanted when we were kids, he hasn't been able to achieve. So I need to save him. No, he seems perfectly fine, you know. Yep, as Pat Oswalt's character points out repeatedly. Points out many times. He's like, this person is happily married with a child. She's yeah. like, no, 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 he's not. And he's like, how do you know that? On what basis are you saying this? <laughs> and she's like, oh, I just know because I know him better than anyone else. And he's like, um, okay, like, whatever. Well, speaking of Pat Oswalt, so Mavis goes into the basically like the local um the local bar woody's and she's just sitting there drinking and uh matt who's played by pat oswald is also at the bar and he's like he recognizes her because his locker was next he was they were in the same graduating class his locker was next door to hers all through high school she clearly has no memory of him whatsoever (laughs) which is kind of like her sort of it's uh, Charlie Theron's performance is so good in the way that she just immediately reverts back to her high school patterns. You know, the like, I mean, I think most people who are adults who live in a different place than where they grew up feel this. Whenever you go back, whether it's for a holiday or even just for a few days, you start to feel yourself regressing to your, you know, the self that you were when you last lived at home. And she's never fully escaped it, but, you know, she's sinking back so quickly into it as as she's come back she kind of looks at him like he's an instinct an insect um but he um they kind of he she realizes that he she does know who he is because matt when he was in high school had you're been the, the victim. crime guy yeah the hate crime guy she, i love how she's like her she's clearly so smashed by this point like still functioning but so drunk and she's just saying anything and so yeah she's like you're the hate crime guy and he's like yeah well that's i mean yes so yeah he (laughs) you're not wrong but you're not wrong but like i I, i'm also a human (laughs) yeah (laughs) the detail of like so matt in high school had been this victim of this horrific crime that some jocks from his his high school had jumped him and beat viciously beat him and done permanent damage to his shattered leg. his legs. I think he mm-hmm. said, "Yeah, yeah." And so he he can only walk with a crutch now. And um, the fact that it was because they thought he was gay, which he in fact was not, and so he was sort of national news until they realized he wasn't gay. And so technically, it wasn't a hate crime; it was just a crime. Um, is yeah is such a such an interesting detail but um mavis like is completely smashed and so so she opens up to matt about why she's actually here and oh yeah buddy and i are meant to be together and so that's why i'm here and matt is just like what are you talking about (laughs) i don't this is and maybe we can get into this more as we go on but i think one of my biggest complaints of this movie is 
I don't really understand the motivation for Matt to continue this relationship with this woman. It just, I understand why it exists for the sake of the movie, but I just don't believe in real life. I'm just like, what? why are you hanging around this woman? She's clearly a mess. She's not really, she doesn't really seem to care about you that much. I don't know. It's it's just weird. And especially, you know, I think this first scene that we have with them after he kind of talks about the, the crime or whatever that happens, isn't her first response like, does your dick still work or something? It's like, I, I don't know. That's one of my one of my main qualms with the film. I'm just like, I don't I don't believe this relationship. It just doesn't make sense to me. Interesting. It makes sense to me in the sense that Matt is, you know, you get the sense that Matt idolized Mavis throughout high school. You know, she is she was the top of the the social hierarchy. She was this beautiful, popular person who never noticed him before. And so he has all of these um you know, these these repressed feelings that are bubbling back up to the surface. Now, all of a sudden, she's back. She is actually willing to talk to him and hang out with him. And we get the sense that he is also, he's not a mess on the level of Mavis, but he's also really depressed, really lonely. You know, he lives at home with his family where he doesn't have a whole lot of privacy. He doesn't seem to have a whole lot of friends. And I think the idea that a beautiful woman who um you know the last time he knew her basically had was on top of the world is willing to hang out with him do the things that he <laughs> likes to do which is just basically drink and um yeah is like willing to to engage with him even if even if it's you know him needing to constantly push back on her because she sounds insane is I can understand how that would be really tempting, you know, especially since it's only for, it's only about a week or so. I mean, I don't know how much longer it would have been sustainable, but I can see why it's like, well, I've got nothing else to do. <laughs> and, you know, this this beautiful woman I once idolized is willing to hang out with me for a few days. Yeah, why not? Yeah. And I think there's also a level of like at a certain point, you know, he also feels sorry for her, I think. I think he kind of recognizes there's no one else in her life that she's opening up to or who is willing to kind of point out to her what's going on. So at the very least, I can be there and push back on her, you know, when she's saying these things, even though it doesn't seem to take it all. I just feel like it would work better for me if... I don't know. I, I just don't. There's not enough evidence there for me to show that he really cares about her as a person, you know, and uh, I can see this idea of, you know, he just doesn't really have anything better to do. And this kind of adds some excitement to his life just for a few days. But, you know, I think that the film tries to communicate that over time, he does start to care for her and have this connection with her. And, you know, obviously, they end up sleeping together towards the end. And I'm just like, I don't I don't believe this. Like I I agree with you that the the perspective of, you know, her just being around and he doesn't have anything better to do. I can see that, but I don't see a genuine connection where he actually would want to 
I don't know, be, be friends with her. It's just so strange because she's such a terrible person. Like everyone hates her because she sucks. And I just don't understand why he's different. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's just strange to me, but. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I see, I see Matt as gen- a fundamentally kind and decent person who has a lot of demons of his own. And so I can see him as like, he knew Mavis before when she was on top of the world and had, you know, some kind of idolization of her. And now seeing her when she's at his lowest kind of, I think, activates his, you know, his desire to care for her in some way. Um, So I can see that being part of it. I mean, yeah, I don't know. These are, these are very, um, these are characters who are very broken and very lonely and in need of some sort of human connection. But yeah, I mean, I, I can see that it would be, it's definitely a strange relationship and one that's clearly <laughs> not very healthy and certainly not sustainable. So yeah, I can see it being kind of difficult to accept. For me, it always worked. But I think part of that too is just, I think Patton Oswalt is really, really good. And I, I really buy the the sort of antagonistic friendship chemistry between these two characters. Yeah, it it, it could very well be a situation of, again, me just expecting expecting this movie to be something that it's not actually, you know, because like I said, I thought this was going to be a lighter comedy with like, I remembered there being a romance between the two of them. I don't know what state of mind I was in when I watched this the first time. <laughs> well, it's but... so funny you say that because actually I was reading a couple of interviews with Jason Reitman, the director and Diablo Cody and Reitman several times refers to the relationship between them as a romance, which I was like, that's interesting. I don't know that I necessarily agree with yeah. that. Like, but that's kind of where he was coming at it from mentally. Yeah, I mean, I could see it, you know, like you were saying, if it's if it's one of those things where it's two unhealthy people that are just just kind of making weird de- weird decisions all around because they just have their own problems that they're sorting through. I can see that. I think I was just like expecting it to be a romance and I also felt like the movie was trying to maybe communicate a little bit that it was. But I think if I look at it differently, it would work for me a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. It's it's definitely not, I don't know, I definitely wouldn't put it as a straight, straight up like these two characters should be together type of romance. Oh, gosh. (laughs) No, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, okay. So the next day... um, is uh when mavis meets buddy for drinks <laughs> she oh, like gosh. oh gosh this is oh, so many cringe moments in this movie um she like you know she fully does herself up she you know makeup's on hair is looking great she's wearing this really low cut like um like really form-fitting dress she looks amazing and then she goes to the place that buddy had suggested and it's a sports bar where it's just like schlubby middle-aged men like (laughs) hanging out in the middle of the day and drinking beers and she's so overdressed it's like an applebee's basically yeah it's like (laughs) like i feel like even to compare it to buffalo wild wings it's like no it's not Mm -hmm. even at buffalo wild wings his level (laughs) no like you would you'd you'd bring your family there for you know for like a night for a 
a, not a nice dinner for just a dinner. Yeah. <laughs> like, get like, some chicken wings. You just want to get out of the house and not cook for the kids and have them have food on their plates. Exactly. Um, exactly. I, I love the detail, though, of, I mean, gosh, she's just so stuck in the past. And I love that detail of her basically saying, I think she orders like his favorite Hard drink jacks, or something yeah. Yeah, that they used to drink in high school. It's like, girl, that's like a, that's a, that's a teenager drink. Like, what are you? what and she's like no no it's this it's this romantic gesture of this time that we had together and it's like and he it's basically so is funny. like that's that's crazy why would you order me that yeah. like, like, he just looks so weirded out anymore. he's like i've not had one of those in so many years like, and she's like oh yeah me neither like i'm 40 <laughs> also the detail i mean <laughs> the just nice little detail she's she's super early and she sits down looking completely out, overdressed and out of place and so she just opens up her phone and starts typing typing oh, gibberish yeah. until on her blackberry on her blackberry it's amazing how quickly films age because this movie felt so old to me because of the technology mm. it's like yeah. i remember when we had that printer i remember when we had blackberries i was like crazy. yeah yeah it's this is like just a few years pre like smartphone revolution and it's such a different such a different vibe um i this conversation between Mavis and Buddy, I mean, it's not a super long conversation. It's mostly just small talk, but it's its so good, I think, at kind of establishing the complete disconnect between the two of them where, like you said, Mavis has ordered them these like sweet like teenage drinks that Buddy is like, yeah, I, I don't drink those anymore. Um there's like a moment where he's like asking after her living in Minneapolis and he calls it like the Minneapolis and she's like, no one says that. And he gets this look on his face where he's like, I feel really intimidated by you. And also I'm kind of hurt because I, you made me feel small and now I'm just going to go and like get the drinks from the bar. And like, she's just like, I do kind of understand that though. I mean, not what I, not that I would ever react like this to people, but when people say the Windy City, I'm like, are you you clearly you're not from here you're clearly not from here <laughs> oh but it's just so like they're just so on different pages like she's trying to sort of tease him and make him feel comfortable and everything she's doing is just making him feel more awkward Ugh. and intimidating you know she's kind of like oh you're still at general mills and he's like yeah you know like i my dad's there too we have lunch sometimes and she's like uh-huh <laughs> okay <laughs> I feel like, like this scene to really just, you know, kind of referring back to what I was saying before in terms of costumes, I feel like his costumes are so great because they really just communicate exhausted young father, suburban dad. Mm -hmm. You know, he's got the loose flat. Clearly, he just threw it on. All of his other clothes are dirty and he doesn't care about how he looks because, yeah. because it doesn't <laughs> matter because he's married with a kid. And, mm -hmm. you know, he, I feel like I, maybe this is just me, but he seems like a really boring guy. <laughs> like, yeah, like, boring you know? suburban dad, like perfectly nice. You know, you can tell that he's I mean, Patrick Wilson obviously is a super handsome man, but they they make him look kind of schlubby. And, you know, like he's not caring about his appearance nowadays. He's just kind of getting through it. The fact and that like one of the the things in his life worth mentioning is that he eats lunch with his dad every day. It's like, yeah. wow, okay. Yeah. Your life really is 
there's not much going on. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, I've never been a young parent. Maybe, but I think that's probably pretty normal for young. Yeah, parents, I mean, so. from my my friends who've had babies, like that's basically what that first year is: is you're just completely in a cocoon of every waking moment. We're just trying to figure out how to keep this child alive for another five minutes, you know? Every waking moment, you're just trying to stay awake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you're you're running on like two hours of sleep. It's, you know, you're trying to think of everything, trying to make sure you've got everything you need. Like, you know, and that that's fine. That's just the way it is. And it is, it's just so completely on another planet to where Mavis is. I love the detail too of how he's not drinking because he's showing solidarity with Beth since Beth Cute. is nursing and she, she can't drink, which is such a Cute. sweet thing. And Mavis is just like, oh, okay. She's like barf. <laughs> <Blah>. <laughs> um, oh, shoot. What was I going to say? Um, oh, yeah. In this movie, I will say, I-, I also said this out loud while watching the movie. His baby in this movie, not a newborn. That baby's at least five months old. That, oh, is, yeah. <laughs> that is not a newborn baby at all. Yeah, yeah. I was curious about, I mean, I guess you could do like a, because the announcement they send out is for the naming ceremony, right? And I guess that's something that you could do a little bit later on. But yeah, clearly not a newborn. No. Yeah, basically they just have this really awkward conversation, but it's one of those things where it's like Buddy is trying to be nice and him trying to be nice is just enough for Mavis to kind of continue thinking that something is going to happen because he like he invites her out to see his wife's band play and he asks if she'll sign one of her books for his niece who wants to be a writer and Mavis is you know kind of like gloms on to these things and is like oh clearly he still wants me in his life you know clearly he is so impressed by me you know um she's delusional she's very delusional she is yeah she's fully delusional um she just keeps creating these like like whole narratives in her mind about how like you know he didn't explicitly say it but I could tell that there's still chemistry between the two of us and I do also feel like though he does kind of give a little bit of mixed signals because I mean I feel like we can't deny that the kiss does happen and you know obviously they're both drunk but he doesn't seem to be not into it you know and so I feel like that kind of makes me look retrospectively on things happened on things that happened in the film prior to that moment of just like hmm I don't know there might be little hints of something there you know obviously we find out by the end of the film that the naming ceremony he invites her because his wife basically told him to because she has pity on her but I don't know I wonder if in the beginning there is kind of this little bit of excitement in him that's triggered that he doesn't even he's not even fully aware of the slightly mixed signals that he's giving. They're not extremely mixed signals, but I do feel mm-hmm. like there's a little something there. Like yeah. there's just enough so that yes. she can latch onto it and make mm-hmm. it her whole world, you know? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And like you can understand how kind of confusing and complex this would be for Buddy, where it's like, you know, I'm going on very little sleep. I'm kind of tired and stressed out all the time, emotionally vulnerable. You know, my wife is probably also like, you know, she's just had a baby. And so we're kind of maybe a little sick of the sight of each other. And now all of a sudden my glamorous ex-girlfriend comes back in town and is just dying to hang out with me. Like, and there is, you know, we have this really long history and we've gone through these really big experiences together. Like, you know, there is, 
there's definitely the potential for temptation there. I can certainly understand why he would be um, like vulnerable to what Mavis, you know, Mavis's attentions and like, you know, not be on his guard for what Mavis is trying to do, <laughs> which is, I mean, you know, an insane thing to do. So, yeah, yeah, I I definitely agree that there is like, you can see that he's not, he's maybe giving off a little bit of mixed signals because he's probably confu- a little bit confused himself about what is going on. Yeah, because I feel like if I, theoretically, I mean, this is completely hypothetical, but I feel like if I were in his situation and I went to a sports bar with an ex and they were engaging with me that way, I would be like, okay, nice seeing you and then not interact with her again or him, her, whoever. Um, And so I feel like the fact that he talks to her at all after that is like, yeah, the fact because that he invites her to the band at all. Like she's being yeah. very obvious with what she wants. And I think he knows that, but he mm-hmm. kind of plays with it a little bit. You yeah. Know? Well, and to be fair, like, I mean, the thing he invites her to is not like, let's go get a drink again. It's come see my wife's band. <laughs> like, you know, it's something that's very explicitly including his wife. Like, come over, have dinner with us, with the entire family, and then come see my wife's band play. Like, it's it probably feels like a fairly safe thing to invite her to not realizing that she's just going to take any sort of attention and, you know, use it to further her own mental narrative. Right. Yeah. Um, So we also see, so that later that night is when Mavis goes over to Matt's house. Um, She has like this awkward conversation at the door with Matt's sister who like, also idolized Mavis in high school and was like, oh, yeah, I gave you those Rice Krispie treats once. I got your locker combination from the principal and put them in your locker. And Mavis is like, uh-huh. I have no memory of what that. What is it with all of these people living in the past? I feel like if I saw someone from high school, I'd be like, oh, hey, this is weird. Okay, bye. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah. <laughs> I would be like, excuse me. You were I the know. popular one. I know. Which, by the way, I feel like in a way, Matt's sister is kind of the villain of this entire movie, Oh my gosh. Which we should talk yeah. about. We could talk about toward the end. But um I have very yeah. strong feelings about that scene at the end. Oh gosh, yeah. I'm excited to talk about it because I do too. Which by the way, just speaking of like high school nostalgia, I don't know, do you have a sense of what are your thoughts on like would you are there people from your high school that you would ever be interested in reconnecting with like would you ever go to a high school reunion do you feel like your high school has any impact on your life now or i don't know do you just kind of run away from it all cuz that's basically where i'm i'm at there're certainly like you know friends that i had in high school that i wouldn't you know you know that i still think very fondly of and wouldn't mind reconnecting with briefly but for the most part it's like I'm so far, I'm not as old as Mavis is, but I'm so far away from my high school experience mentally, but clearly she's unable to move on from it. And it seems like so many people from her hometown are in a a similar place where they have allowed their high school experience to define the rest of their lives in a certain way. Yeah, I mean, I think it also, I feel like this movie gives the impression that this is kind of a small town 
So I feel like that probably changes things too. Whereas my high school had like 4,000 students. So yeah, so um, did mine. That's true. And because it was so big, there wasn't really this clear distinction of the popular people and the, you know, it was just kind of like, we're all here. And those people are friends with those people and those people are friends with those people type of thing. Yeah, Mine was the Um, same. But yeah, I mean, I feel like there's one person from high school that I would want to reconnect with. And so because there's just one person, I have no desire to go to any reunions or anything. I'm like, I don't have anything to prove. I also don't really care what any of you are doing. (laughs) I I wish you well. I hope your life is good and you're doing okay. But I'm not really invested in that. Um, But I think that that says a lot, again, about this character, because I think it's normal for a lot of people to kind of, especially this far removed from high school, to just be like, oh, yeah, that's a time that happened when I was a kid, but like, whatever. But she, well, not just her, but so many people here are really still thinking so much about high school. I'm like, what? That's that's so crazy to me, you know? It's been 15 years, if not more than 20 years. I don't know how many years it's been, but yeah. 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 I think 20 years because she's, she says she's 37 at a certain point. Oh, okay. So yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, she, she what goes to visit. What is he working that- on? Is he like making his own figures in that kiln or whatever it is? I didn't know what he was doing with like that heat barrel. Uh, the heat barrel was for his distillery because he makes aged bourbon. And so it's like you smoke the inside of the barrel and then it contributes to the flavor of the the bourbon. Okay. (laughs) The scene where he's like, okay, here's, here's some bourbon that I have. Like give it a little sip. And she's just like chugs it. (laughs) It's just like, oh gosh, she, it's probably like five shots that she's downing at once. It's really concerning. And the fact that in the beginning of this episode, you had the audacity to say probably an alcoholic. Probably an alcoholic. Yeah. I don't know why I made that disclaimer. Like she's a hundred thousand percent an alcoholic. Yeah. And Matt's like, oh, oh, okay. Okay. Um, anyway. Yeah. So, and they, they also like, he like tries to show her his the like the action figures that he works on. She doesn't really care, but then she's just like, "I have a great idea of what we can do." And then they just go over and park in front of Buddy's house Ugh. and just—it's such stalkerish behavior. It's so it's weird, so creepy. It's so weird. And Matt, I feel like with Matt too, in, in terms of his motivations, I feel like there is also a little bit. I did say that he was kind of a a kind person who wants to caretake, but I feel like there's also a little bit of him that's like. There's going to be drama from this. I'm just curious to see what's going to happen. Well, that's the thing. I don't think he's a kind person, really. I think he's just... I don't know. I think he's just as depressed and mean as Charlie's Thrones character is. I think he just shows it in a different way. But I don't know. That's just my opinion. It's because, because of his past... I feel like he's coming from the perspective of I was this loser kid that no one liked and people attacked, where she's coming from this perspective of, oh, my gosh, I was the most important person and everyone loved me and da da da. So I think because of where they're coming from, it manifests itself a little bit differently. But I think overall, both of them are kind of mean people that need to move on from their past. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, I think... He definitely has more self-awareness and emotional intelligence than Mavis does at this point. And I do think there is something genuine in his kind of, you know, constantly pushing back on her and trying to point out 
that what she's doing is completely her horrible, you know, trying to blow up this poor man's marriage. But I don't know. It's like, again, what I like about this movie is I think the motivations are complex. I think there is, to some extent, a genuine desire to help her. But there's also this sort of let me live vicariously through what I wanted to do in high school, which is hang out with Mavis Gary and, um, you know, look down on other people. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of both in Matt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's see. So the next day, (laughs) we have this scene where the next day as Mavis is like getting ready to uh, go to the to see best band perform we have that scene where she goes to macy's which she read at the beginning where she completely freaks out the store employee by admitting that she's trying to steal her ex-boyfriend away from his wife so nonchalantly <laughs> as well yeah. we also have the scene where she goes into a bookstore and offers to sign copies of her book um the bookstore attendant is played by um i'm forgetting his name but he's from the comedy troupe called britannic which i really like um but yeah she's just like yeah, I'm the author. See, it's written in really small print on the inside label of the book. I'm. Let me sign it for you. And he's Wait, like, well. Wait, can you explain to me? I don't actually understand her role with the book. Because so, she's the writer. Did someone else mm-hmm. take credit for her work? Like, I don't understand. It's either. Um, I think I get the sense that there is a real person who started the book series. This is kind of a common thing, I think, in, in long running book series especially young adult fiction where there's a person who starts the book series who creates all of the characters and the setting but then at some point they decide they don't want to write anymore but the series is really lucrative so they get ghost writers to write subsequent books and they basically publish them under the name of the original author since that's the person who created the series but the ghost writers are doing the actual work of those subsequent books I don't know how I feel about that, but okay. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, the Nancy Drew series, Carolyn Keene, um, I can't remember at this point. I should look this up. I can't remember if Carolyn Keene was an actual person and then most of the Nancy Drew books are written by other authors or if Carolyn Keene is actually not a person at all and that was a, a ghost, like a, a pseudonym for a series like various authors who've written various Nancy Drew books over the years. But like, it's it's a very... It's a pretty common thing within publishing. I just um, think they should give credit because like with with the Wheel of Time series, for example, Robert Jordan is the author. And then when he couldn't write anymore, they brought in Brandon Sanderson. And so then they say written by Bra- maybe they say written by Robert Jordan and Brandon Sanderson. But either way, they're giving very obvious credit to the replacement writer. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely agree. Give give credit. I would imagine that since Brandon Sanderson was already an established author on his own, he could probably negotiate for more public credit, whereas Ooh, interesting. a lot of ghost writers are, you know, just struggling working writers who are not necessarily big names and don't have the command to, you know, they're not going to pull in readers the way the the name of the original author would. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, let's see, where are we? So, oh gosh. So yeah, we've reached the scene with the, where they, uh, she goes over to the Slade's house. They have this incredibly awkward conversation in the living room where she's, I mean, Mavis just does not care about this baby at all. She kind of regards it as like this little inconvenience. 
there's just keep there there's these so many little moments where it's like Mavis will say something that's trying to make herself seem cool and you can see that Beth and Buddy are both kind of like intimidated or hurt or a little like okay you know we're just normal people like you're all fancy and everything and we're you know not on the same level but at the same time that just pushes the two of them together and then Mavis gets jealous of the intimacy that they clearly have with each other and it's just this perfect situation of complete awkwardness and you know this this is never going to work out the way Mavis thought that it would well you can't you can't ignore the part when she takes it to level 100 and she's like oh yeah i still or like what does she say i, I still have some of i his still sleep in some of his yeah his and shirts and his boxers t-shirt. and they're just like why would you say that but i'm sorry i'm just gonna call her esme because i forget her <laughs> what's her name back her name is beth Be- beth okay yeah uh wait that's the character's name or the that's the character's name, name. okay I-, I think beth is the best character in this movie because her response is like so the way that she's able to finesse herself out of a super awkward scenario and make it seem somewhat normal and like she's not judging her or whatever, I'm like, that is a masterclass of yeah. <laughs> like behaving and responding to super awkward situations because she really does. I mean, her response is so sweet, you know, and I feel like in any other circumstance, I'd be like, what the like, what, what are you what are Yeah, you, you need to leave. Like, <laughs> what is happening? Um, yeah but I think that that kind of establishing scene with her really makes it believable at the end that she did ask Buddy to ask her you know because there is a clear sense that she does have pity for this woman you know yeah like the detail of her being a special needs teacher who is helping children to learn how to understand and express their emotions is so good because you know it it gives additional reason for the fact that she is the one, apart from Matt, who is most clearly picking up on how what a bad place Mavis is in and how lonely and depressed that she is. Even if she's not kind of making explicit mention of it, clearly this is something that she's clocking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the they go out to the, the bar so that Beth's band can perform. I love the fact that the band is called Nipple Confusion. <laughs> I just love the fact that they're like a a mom band i was yeah watching, i was like life goals i want to be in an incredibly average band when i'm in my <laughs> yeah. late 30s that sounds i know awesome. again it's like mavis is just at every moment judging their lives and like you know oh buddy was meant for so much more than this you know i can do so much better for him but it's like he has what a perfectly has nice wife life yeah he he seems to have a really nice relationship with beth Beth is like, you know, she's got her own job. She has a fun hobby that she does on the side, which is really cool. And he's got General Mills and he eats lunch with his dad every day. Yeah, <laughs> like- it sounds nice. It sounds perfectly nice. I love how the band, the band is like the perfect level too of like, they're not awful, but they're not very good. Exactly. <laughs> but like yeah. they're in a in a way where they're like, you know, they're just open and free about it. They're like, yeah, we're just doing this because it's fun. And all the people here are our friends and family who want to support us. And it's just it's a great vibe. I love it. I love mm-hmm. it so much. Yep. It's so good. Yeah. And then, of course, Matt or Mavis is like completely trying to blow every everything up by um, making these creepy remarks to Buddy. And Buddy's like, uh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> I just... Just to mention a little bit again about Charlie Stone's performance, I just feel like her absolute 
I mean, her looks of hatred in this movie. Oh. I mean, if she were to look at me like that, I would feel like I was stabbed by something. Like, it, it's just, it is the strongest look of complete anger. It's almost like a murderous, I it's, yeah, that it's like a violent look. And she does it so much in this movie. And I'm like, I'm terrified of you. <laughs> like, yeah. you're the scariest person I've ever seen in my life. Well, again, with her, like, just slipping effortlessly back into high school, like, queen bee bitch mode, mm-hmm. there's that one band member who clearly knew, knew her in high school and calls yes. her, like, psycho prom queen bitch. But then afterwards, she says something kind of, like, kind of bitchy to Mavis. And then Mavis is just immediately slips back into that sort of passive aggressive, like, oh, I'm going to say something positive. That is actually the most devastating thing you ever heard to her, you know? And it's just so effortless, you know, how... Like you can tell exactly the kind of popular girl she was, where she's she has that faux friendliness that is actually so cutting, you know. Ugh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, and we should say too that the the first song that the band plays is Beth dedicates it to Buddy, like it's their song, and it's the song that Mavis had been playing earlier. So clearly, Buddy played that song for Beth, and now it's their song, and Mavis is just you can see the devastation on her face of like. I thought that this was our special song, but he just, you know, he shared it with someone else and now it belongs to them. And it makes her even more insecure than she was before. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sounds like she needs to grow up and get over it, but. I mean, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the overall <laughs> yep. overall message of this movie. Um, So after the performance, like, Buddy's really tipsy. Like, I mean, probably partly because Mavis had been feeding him shots and um, he needs to go home and like relieve the babysitter. But Beth wants to stay out with her friends a bit. And so Mavis offers to drive him home. And um, on the, the doorstep, like, you know, in the front yard, she like is kind of talking to him about like, yeah, I can see what a good man you are. You love your daughter and everything. And then she like they end up kissing. But then the babysitter interrupts, which I was like, did the babysitter see? Because it seemed like the babysitter oh, he, saw. He definitely saw because when they when she goes to the the naming party or whatever it is later on, the babysitter's there and he's like with with two other people and they're both staring at her, clearly talking oh, about what he saw. I fully did not even realize that. That's a really good catch. Mm-hmm. Oh, he oh. definitely saw. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What is your interpretation of that scene? Because you said earlier that it like it seemed like Buddy was kind of into it, which I don't know. It's so hard to tell. (laughs) It's so yeah, it's so hard to like he is clearly really drunk. And so he just sort of like goes with it and then once it ends, he just kind of like walks off like nothing happened and he never refers to it again. Like it's hard to even know how much of it he remembers the next day. Um but yeah, again, with like the sort of enough mixed sig- signals are being sent that you can see why it f- further fuels her delusions. Yeah, I, I think he was into it. I think. I don't think it's something where he is like, I'm unhappy with my life and unhappy with my marriage and this woman is better. And I don't think it's one of those things. I think it's more so, you know, my life has been the same thing for a long time. I'm really exhausted, you know, whatever. And you're right here right now. And I'm kind of drunk. 
and you're exciting to me. So let's do it. So in that sense, I do think he's into it. I do think it's something that he wants in that moment. Um, but I think obviously afterwards we see that he just, it's almost like it was so insignificant to him that he doesn't even need to talk about it and bring it up as if like, that was a mistake. We can't do that ever again. Like it was just such a inconsequential thing almost that he's just like, ah, like it's not even worth yeah. mentioning. So I think it is something where in the moment he is into it because it does appeal to a certain part of him. But at the same time, that part of him is very small. So yeah. 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 I think, I because think I think correct. that, if he wasn't into it at all, he would have kind of leaned back and been like, whoa, wait, you know, what are you doing? And he doesn't ask, what are you doing really until the end when she con- like legitimately confronts him and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. 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 I think that's correct. And then clearly like his reaction, his processing of it the next day is like, it's not a good idea for us to see each other anymore. Like maybe, maybe he's kind of generously thinking, well, we were both drunk. Like we didn't, neither of us knew what we were doing or something like that, but it's not a good idea for us to spend more time together because Beth then has to be the one to force him to invite Mavis to the the naming ceremony. Like he at that point did not want to do that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, Let's see. This is the point where like that's like Mavis afterwards go out drinking with Matt again and afterwards she rather than taking a taxi home which she had done before she drives home drunk and like completely smashes the front of her car (sighs) Um, have they gone to the forest yet at this point not yet okay no that's I think that's the next night yeah okay yeah they're kind of like she's definitely escalating as you know the more she hangs out with Matt um let's see oh the next day is um yeah so buddy calls and he invites her to this this naming ceremony that they're having uh that he and beth are having uh for their their daughter um mavis like runs into her mom in town with her mom like slowly driving behind her in the car and mavis like oh hi yep which like you know honestly (laughs) relatable sorry but relatable (laughs) I mean, just the fact that she was in town for this long and never once reached out to her parents to let them know that she was around. They had to find out from someone else um, is so telling. I love the moment where her mom is like talking to her about how, oh, yeah, we heard you're in town for this real estate thing. You know, your Aunt Lena's kind of hurt that she didn't you didn't use her as the broker. (laughs) Well, they don't they also don't seem to really know anything about her life because they're like, how? how are the books going? You know, like clearly mm-hmm. they haven't caught up with her work. They haven't read them. They don't really know that the, that the series, the series is, is kind ending. Of, yeah. You know, they still have, and... they still have her wedding photo up on the hall, even though so she's been weird. divorced for like a couple of years by this point. And I think she, her mom explicitly tells her at some point, like I haven't seen you in years, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Like they, they don't speak very much. There's that moment, that devastating moment where Mavis just fully says like, think I might be an alcoholic and her parents just completely like oh ha 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 let's talk about something else like immediately changing the subject you know they're you can tell so much about their you know her the privilege of her upbringing but also her parents complete emotional unavailability to her you know it really helps contextualize why she is the way that she is yeah totally yeah um yeah, there's also that moment where she's like, 
oh yeah, I've been seeing a lot of buddy, you know, and you know, it's so funny, like our first instincts are often so right. And the universe is always going to make sure that you end up with who you're meant to end up with. And her mom is just like, she looks a little nervous, but she's also like, oh yeah. And also he has that child and it's so (laughs) cute. (laughs) I love how her, her comeback to that is almost always like, yeah, but a child, like that's just an obstacle. It's okay. Everybody has baggage. (laughs) Everyone has baggage. Yeah. I love where the mom's like, oh, yeah, and his, his child is so darling. And Mavis is like, have you seen it up yep. close? <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, man. Let's see. Uh, this is, I think this is the point where Mavis and Matt go drinking in the woods. And um, like, I, I think at this point, Matt is pretty close to being done with her. Like, she just keeps going on and on about how Buddy is going to, you know, he's just going to fall in love with her again and we're going to run away together. And Matt is like, you're insane. You're insane. You're insane. You need Mavis, help. You need help. Yeah. Mavis is like pushing back on him and being like, well, you're also doing nothing with your life. You're using your past as an excuse to to never move on. And Matt's just like you have no idea like what it's been like to live in my shoes and like what has happened to me. And yeah. um, It's kind of like they're both living in the past, but it's this comparison of who's more justified in living in the past, you know, kind of like comparing traumas. mm -hmm. And it's like, well, pretty sure he's got you beat. Like, yeah. Like, (laughs) do you both need to move on with your lives in certain ways? Yes. But I, I have more empathy for him being stuck in yeah. the past than for her, you know? <laughs> certainly. Yeah, certainly. Um, let's see. I really love the mo like, after this, Mavis goes to the Kentaco hut and she just orders this absolutely oh insane gosh. amount of food. So much food. <laughs> she's just so sitting there much. eating it all. Yeah. And she's like, she's continuing to write her book like throughout this whole film she's been kind of writing and she's like writing about how Kendall is just basically like I've been wronged by everyone in my life and I'm gonna go nuclear on them and I'm gonna get justice for all the ways that I've been wronged and everything well she's also writing things that she's literally hearing like 14 year old girls say in stores you'd be like oh my gosh yeah David blah 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 like he's just like my my heart my stars my universe (laughs) she uses that line on buddy and it's such a cringy line so but it's so representative of where she's so teenage the Mm -hmm. fact that she connects so much with these 14 year old girls not it's not even that she connects with them so much that she's writing her book about them she's literally saying them in her actual life and i'm just like girl your level of just delusion is like out of this world yeah yeah and i mean like you know the just the symbolism of you know she is using all of her high school experiences to write this book about who she thinks she was in high school but the book itself is being like phased out you know the series the world is literally moving on from the series that once was popular and now is no longer and she's just unable to accept it you know um let's see okay so now we get to the name ceremony scene oh boy this scene um i love the way again with the the complimenting the costumes the way that she dresses for this being so different from everything that she's worn before she's wearing this really like strategically conservative sort of waspy business casual type 
outfit with the cardigan and the pearls and her hair is up in a French twist. And it feels like a sexy library. Like a, sex- it does. a sexy librarian who's going to show up and all of a sudden they're a stripper and they start like that's their character, <laughs> you know, and then they start. It's like, okay, cool. Yeah, it's it like the stereotype like of the. feels like she's playing a character, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. Yeah, like all the outfits that we see her put on for these different interactions that she's going to have with, bu- with Buddy, like each time it is so intentional and so you know it's so much her putting on this particular front you know the like cool rock star girlfriend rocks loving girlfriend versus like the you know the the sort of conservative looks great for the the mom loves her kind of you know um this movie really should have been nominated for best costumes oh, i really, really think should. the costume design in this movie is great yeah it's excellent i love how when she goes she gets to the ceremony she kind of makes a beeline for buddy's mom to be like remember how your mom loved me like and clearly they all hate her <laughs> They're, yeah oh gosh and i i feel like you get the sense that because of the relationship between buddy and beth i get I get the sense that he actually told her about the kiss and told her about what happened. And so because of that, you know, the his mom is kind of looking cautiously at her and everyone's kind of studying where she's at in relationship to him. And when they go up the stairs and it oh, just yeah. feels like it's a conversation that he's had where he's been like, hey, just this happened. FYI. This is the dynamic. Like she's not in a good place and da 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 da. So it's more so. People we need to be nice out. to her. Yeah, like people but also aren't looking keep an out for out. Buddy in terms of like, oh man, look at him. He's going to go cheat and blah, blah, blah. It's more so like, okay, you know, she's taking him upstairs and what's going to, you know, that sort of thing. Um, there's just a lot of pity towards her going on in this scene, I think. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I love the look that Mavis gives when they head up the stairs together, where it's this really conscious, like, I want people to see that we're going upstairs together and think the worst because mm-hmm. that's what I want. Because it's hot. It's like, yes. Well, okay. Gosh. Yeah. So she gets him alone in a room. She basically tells him, like, everything that she's thinking, like, oh, we're meant to be together. You're my sun, my moon, my stars, my everything. She tries to kiss him, and he's just like, what are you talking about? Like, yep. are you, no, <laughs> like, and I love that his reaction, his, the thing that he says to her is you're better than this, which is such a perfect thing for him to say in that, like, I mean, as an audience member, I'm like, no, she's not, <laughs> but I can see why his perspective, you know, this whole movie, it's like, you know, this is my cool ex-girlfriend who um, got away to the big city. We're all a little bit in awe of her, you know, a small town Hicks where like we idolize this person who was able to move to the big city. And it's like he's disappointed in her for not living up to this image that he has of her. And he, you know, you can see again why she is drawn to him because he validates this image she has of herself of I'm the person who's condescending to to come back to the town and grace it with my presence and so in this moment he's like he's sort of encouraging her to be better but also kind of validating the way that she's been thinking about herself this whole time mm-hmm. yeah um let's see so after Mavis has been like completely humiliated by Buddy's rejection. Buddy, like, he tells her to leave, but she doesn't leave. She just kind of like, 
immediately beelines for whiskey. For alcohol, yep. For alcohol, yep. And um, Buddy like gets everyone outside because he's going to give Beth her gift, drum which is a, a drum set, which is so sweet. Like, it's, it's so sweet, sweet. But the timing of it is so It's so cringe. bad. Yeah, so Beth, like... She's trying to be nice and she's like, here, do you need anything? And Mavis is like, Ugh, I need a neat real drink. And like Beth tries to give her, I think, some wine or something like that. And she accidentally spills it on her dress. And just, oh, man, Charlie's Theron's performance as Mavis is like immediately freaks out and slips into like, you know, high school bitch. Like, what did you do mode and curses her out? But then immediately realizes that everyone's staring at her and switches gears and tries to laugh and be like, what do you guys like loosen up? And it's just so like disconcerting. Like it's so she's off her rocker. <laughs> she's so unstable. Like it's yeah, it's this really like awkward scene where everyone is staring around as Mavis is just spinning out and spinning out and spinning out. And she like completely confesses everything that's going on. You know, she wants to run away with Buddy. And also she and Buddy like had she had gotten pregnant and had miscarried. And so they have this whole like history together. And and then like the, like Buddy brings out the gift and is like, la ta da! And everyone's like, oh gosh, it's so incredibly awkward. It's a great gift, though. It is a great gift. It's really sweet. Um, what do you do? You have any thoughts on like the that revelation that um, Mavis had gotten pregnant by Buddy and then miscarried, and kind of you know how that sort of influenced the way that she's been acting or, or like you know the why she is fixating on buddy at this particular moment well i feel like th the fact that all of this is triggered by the fact that she gets an email about a baby being born from her ex-boyfriend i definitely feel like there is i feel like before this baby or buddy's kid even comes into the picture there is this feeling that she has of my life sucks. I wish it could be better. I peaked in high school. I want to go back to that time. I think she already has that mentality. And so when she sees that he's had a baby with someone else, she really latches onto that of like, if that's all that he needed in order to stay with somebody, then why aren't we together? And that's what kind of makes her really, really spiral and, and attach her identity crisis a lot more to not just her high school experience, but to this relationship in particular. And so, you know, we see in that confrontation scene, basically, where she's saying, you know, this could have been me. Not only could it have been me, it should have been me. Like, I, I had a, an opportunity to have a child and then there was a miscarriage and da, da 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 But I don't know. I think it makes me empathize with her a little bit more because she's not, it makes her seem more human to me. She's not just this fake made up person who's terrible. It's like, no. She's terrible, but also she, you know, sh she has, she has her reasons, I, I you know, yeah. not to like justify her behavior because she needs help and she needs to go to therapy and she needs to go to a rehab center for alcohol. But I don't know. I just feel like it's, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that they include that storyline for her in in combination with the fact that he just had a kid. I think that's, you know, intentional. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really good, good point. Cause like I kind of go back and forth sometimes on is that particular 
plot revelation needed? Like, could it have just been, you know, she's fixating on her high school boyfriend without the added detail that she'd previously gotten pregnant and had a miscarriage? But I think it does it does add a layer to her character. And I think this movie just in general, and again, you know, with how good the writing is, but also how good Charlize Theron's performance is, it does such a good job to me of going back and forth between, you know, Mavis is a fully terrible person that on the one hand we, you know, in no way endorse, but it also gives all of these reasons for why she is the way that she is and it also shows her at her most vulnerable and hurt and shows that she has you know she's struggling with these undiagnosed mental issues she is struggling with alcoholism that she's not ready to confront and depression that she's not ready to get help for and so you know there is a level of empathy that we can have for her even as we're also horrified by the things that she's doing you know i think it i think it does a good job of striking that balance of showing like a terrible person is still a human being who is hurting and has things that are pushing them to act the way that they are and even though we don't you know endorse what they're doing we can still recognize that they are a a human being the same way that they that we are and that there are there's pain and there's trauma that is affecting the way that they're you know interacting with the world Mm -hmm. totally yeah, which then leads us into the next scene where mm-hmm. we see her at her most vulnerable. Yeah. Although, actually, I should add, just we also get this revelation in the scene, which we talked about a little bit before. But Buddy finally admitting that he didn't invite her to the ceremony; he only did it. He didn't want to invite her to the ceremony. He only did it because Beth really felt sorry for her. And I think this is just kind of the final blow to Mavis's ego of like this whole time. I thought that I was fooling everyone into thinking that I had it all together, that I was like the successful adult who made it and has the most glamorous life and everyone looks up to me. And now I realize that everyone has just been pitying me and humoring me this whole time. Like that's just devastating to her. You know, that specifically I think is so devastating to her sense of identity. And that directly leads her into, yeah, what happens next, which is she goes to Matt and is like, I'm crazy i'm screwed up no one loves me and she's just like crying she's drunk she's vulnerable and yeah it's so when she like takes off her dress and is just standing there and sobbing like it's so it's so sad (laughs) it's so vulnerable and um yeah so they he's like sort of trying to comfort her um can you remind me i i didn't have subtitles on and i didn't rewind it to to double check but before he comes over to hug her she asks him to do something and it sounds like she says can you hide me that's what my subtitles said which i thought okay, was fascinating because gotcha. i remembered the line is hold me but i think it is hide me which i think is yeah like it's Very such interesting an interesting choice of words Yeah. Yeah. It's like she wants to disappear. You know, she wants to no longer like she feels like she's always being looked at and she doesn't want that to be the case anymore. So, yeah, they like they're hugging and then she sort of like pulls him onto the bed and they end up having sex. Um, I really love this is another scene where I just want to note the costume design, like the fact that when she takes her dress off, she has these like pasties and then she has these 
tights that are so high. Yeah, the pantyhose. Yeah. Yeah, that they're kind of like trying to hold in her stomach or her figure or something like that. But they're see through and you can see, you know, underneath. It's just I feel like the costumes here in combination with her hair and makeup, it just it works so well to communicate everything you need to know about how she's feeling, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah. So they, um, they're like afterwards they're in bed together. There's this really, cause you know, I, I'm definitely of two minds of the fact that they have sex where it's like, I understand why it happens for both of them. But at the same time, it is kind of uncomfortably like, you should not be having sex with this woman. This woman is extremely vulnerable. Like, yeah, not, not, not good. But well, I, I think that it's, it goes both ways, in my opinion. Mm. I don't think either of them should be having sex with the other because true. both like, of she's, them are vulnerable. Yeah. Like she, I mean, she clearly wants it in the sense of she wants someone to make her feel better. And this is the way that she can find to make herself feel better is let me find someone who I know wants me and like, initiate that so it's not like you know it's not like it's something that she didn't want but it's born out of this really you know messed up place but there is he's I think he's the same though I think that he also is coming from a point of like you know this is something that I don't really get to do very often and here's this woman who is here in this state of mind and she's like willing to do this and so I'll kind of take advantage of this situation and so I don't know. I feel like, like I said before, I think both of them are not yeah, really good people. They're and both so, kind of using each other in a way to make themselves feel better. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I see this kind of, I think they are both in very vulnerable places where they are not of sound mind to be making these decisions. But at the same time, I think they're both manipulating each other. And I also think they both know that they're manipulating each other. So it's like it's a consensual messed up yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. interaction that they both know they shouldn't be having. But like, yeah, because it's not something where, you know, I feel like if it was a romantic thing, it would be something where they wake up in the next morning and she sneaks out of bed and he's like, wait, where are you going? You know, it's just kind of like, OK, I'm going to go now. And he's like cool I'm not gonna wake up like you know it's fine you can go but yeah I don't know I just I really didn't like that scene and maybe again it's because I remembered this movie being a romance and I was watching this and I was like this is a terrible decision for him <laughs> this is a terrible decision for her mm-hmm. I hate this for both of you like why yeah. is this happening although actually I will say I mean yes I, I agree and I I really like that interpretation I do really love the scene that they have together afterwards in bed where so Matt asks Mavis like why buddy like why is he the one that you keep going after and she keeps saying that he's he's a kind man and he has he's like are men normally unkind to you like this kind of a revelation um and I like this moment she goes like Buddy knew me when I was at my best. And then Matt tells her, you weren't at that your best then. And then he says, he, he has this story about how she had this mirror in her locker. And she, he just remembers that she looked in that mirror way more than she ever looked at him. And that was when he was at his best. And I don't know. I just, I find it to be this really s- sort of sweet moment of understanding of like, 
you know, him kind of gently reminding her of this idealized image that you have in your mind about who you were in high school, that that was your peak moment. That wasn't your peak moment because you weren't a kind person then. You weren't a good person then, you know? And like, he's not really saying it, but I feel like it kind of offers this opportunity of like, now you're seeing me in a way that you never did before. And that's a way in which you are better than you were then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I really, really like that little exchange between the two of them. Yeah, I think it's a good exchange as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the next morning, um, oh, Mavis wakes up, Matt's still I asleep. Hate this. It's, I, oh, gosh. I hate this <laughs> so incredibly much. And it's, I did not remember this aspect of the mm-hmm. movie at all. And this, I, this whole scene, I was like, th- this is when I was like, so what is this movie trying to say? Like, I don't, I don't understand because I, I, anyway, we, we can get into it, yeah, but I, yeah. I really hate this scene a lot. Yeah. This scene to me, we'll get into it, but to me, this scene is the thing that elevates this movie for me from very good to great. Like, I think this scene is just absolutely the perfect, like the only way that this movie could have ended. Anyway, so yeah, Mavis wakes up the next morning. She's basically in the exact same position that she was at the beginning of the film when she decides to head um, head to Mercury where she wakes up with the guy. He's still asleep. His arm is over her and she just kind of pushes the arm off of her and gets gets out and leaves, you know, kind of going full circle. But she goes upstairs and she finds um, Matt's sister, Sandra, the one who had baked her the Rice Krispie treats in high school, um, who's like getting ready for work. And she has this whole conversation with Sandra. And um, I, I love how it starts out with Mavis I don't know, maybe like testing the waters with Sandra a little bit to see kind of maybe testing her own power where she at, she brings up Beth, you know, Buddy's wife, and is like, what do you think of her? And then she has this look on her face like, we don't like Beth. And then Sandra's like, yeah, we don't like Beth. She's not, we don't like her. She's not good. And also you're way prettier than her. Like it's such high school behavior. But then Mavis like kind of opens up about everything that's been going on with her and is like, I have a lot of problems. I don't know how to be happy. I feel like I'm out of step with everyone else because it seems like everyone else like understands how to be an adult and how to grow up and how to be fulfilled. And I just don't know how, you know, these things that seem so simple for everyone else are so difficult for me. But then Sandra, um, well, Sandra's like, um, listen, everyone doesn't feel fulfilled. You have everything that you need. Like, I don't understand why you're not. And Mavis is like, well, I think I need to change. And Sandra, which it, again, <laughs> this is the moment that for me, like really elevates this movie into like dark comedy perfection. Sandra's like, no, you don't need to change. Everyone in this town is bad. They're all fat and they're dumb and they couldn't do the things that you do with your glamorous life. They don't care what happens to themselves. Like, they don't care about living a better life because it doesn't matter what happens to them. Like, basically, everyone here is beneath you. And Mavis is Mavis's response is, thank you. I needed that. This place glo- <laughs> blows. I'm just going to go back to the city. And, oh, gosh. And she, like, she turns to leave. And Sandra's like, wait, take me with you. And Mavis is like... No, Sandra, I think you're good here. Yep. It's, oh gosh. Oh gosh. It's so, 
it's so perfectly written because it's like there is this one moment where Mavis has the opportunity to change, to be better. She finally has this moment of self-revelation and being back in this town and with someone who is similarly still stuck in these high school patterns of hierarchy and um, idealizing her and the sort of like small town, big city, you know, binary thinking just immediately sets her back into the way that she was before. And the cycle just continues. And Mavis is never going to change. She's just, you know, any opportunity she had to change is just completely blown up by the way that Sandra reacts to her. And it's just so tragic. And I don't know. I just, I think it's so, so perfect. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Obviously, like, I hate it in the sense of, like, it's terrible, She's a bad person. She's only going to get worse. And she's getting worse because of like the people around her who are validating, you know, this to- these toxic ways of thinking. But I think it's just so perfect for the movie in like crystallizing, you know, why these ways of thinking are so toxic and re- reinforcing and, you know, creating this unending cycle. I I agree with you. I think that this is just another circumstance where I would need to watch this movie again because, again, I went into this thinking it's going to be comedy, romance, moving towards a happy ending. Nope. And <laughs> not a happy ending. This yeah. ending was not at all what I wanted <laughs> for this character. Um, and the fact that she was so heavily influenced by this. I mean, this girl, the way that she's talking, she sounds like she's 11. Like she sounds like she's so young. And the fact that she's so influenced by these incredibly, like this woman who's talking to her doesn't know anything about her, doesn't know anything about her life. She's just say she's projecting her own desires onto Charlie's Throne's character because she just, She's never left where she's been. She doesn't know what she's talking about. And the fact that she just absorbs that information and you kind of see the logic seeping out of her eyes the more she listens (laughs) of just like, oh, yeah, you're right. My life is really great. Like it is. Yeah, I'm going to go back. And I'm just like, girl, do you remember what happened when you were there? Like you're lying on your couch every day, waking up. You can barely take care of your dog. Like, I don't understand. I don't know. It just, it was not the ending that I expected. It was not the ending that I wanted. It made me very mad. I just was like, especially after that sex scene too, which I also just didn't like. It just made me mad. I, uh, it's just, it's, I feel like this is a similar scenario or a similar sentiment that you have with Breaking Bad where you're like, he's just like the character of Walter White is just so nasty and so irredeemable that I can't move past it, regardless of how brilliant everything (laughs) else is about that show. And Uh for this, I'm like, I can't, she's just the worst. She's the worst. She's the worst. Yeah. That's just ultimately my takeaway from this movie of like, you're the worst person. I hate you. And I just hate you. Like, like that is how I feel ending this movie. And I just, I can't get past it. So I hear everything that you're saying. And I think that you're right. I, I don't necessarily, you know, if we're looking at this movie in a way that's realistic, 
I don't think there is another ending that this movie could have had. But I didn't want this movie to be realistic because <laughs> I hate the realistic version of this person. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the reasons that I love this movie so much and I connect to it so much is because like, I do see aspects of myself in Mavis in a way that really makes me like think and interrogate these things. Like, you know, I'm someone who, as soon as she could, moved away from her hometown and you know, I don't despise going home or anything like that, but I'm just, you know, I do tend to have that sort of like, I mean, I'm going to look down on my the people I knew in high school who still live in the hometown and, you know, still work at the high school or like, you know, like these sorts of things. And this movie does make me interrogate that of like, why am I so judgmental <laughs> about that lifestyle? Like, you know, it's not for me and that's fine, but why do I have this feeling that one is inherently better than the other? And um, or that like people who who, you know, choose to stay within that um, within that area, within those sorts of um, have those sorts of like lifestyles. Like, why do I think that they don't deserve their happiness is not valid or they don't deserve to have the things that they want? You know, like, I, I mean, I certainly don't think that all the time, but like, you know, I can sometimes tip over into those kinds of thought patterns. And so this movie, by ending in such an extreme way of, you know, she has an opportunity to grow as a person and become more understanding and, um, you know, more aware of herself and um, the ways that her vision for her life has not worked out and, and to grow through that by ending in such an extreme way of veering away from that, it really makes me think harder about what is it that makes a truly fulfilling life? You know, am I being too caught up in my own patterns of, well, to be a fulfilling life, obviously you must be a creative person who lives in the big city and, you know, has a car, has a dog, has an apartment, like all of these things. Like these are all good things, but you know, maybe it's possible to have a, a, a good life that looks different from that. And, um, you know, maybe you don't need to be feared and idolized and look glamorous and be a, regard yourself as above everyone else in every situation in order to be happy and fulfilled and to feel like an adult. I mean, you know, who among us really feels like, <laughs> like an adult? But, um, yeah, like I love this movie because I find it so provocative about these sort of experiences that you have when you're in your your 20s and your 30s and life has not f turned out the way that you thought that it would and you're struggling to find fulfillment and you're struggling to figure out what you want to do, who you want to be, you know, trying to figure out how other people are looking at you and whether you can stand to be looked at in that particular way. Like the it's it's a movie that really brings up all of these really relatable thoughts and struggles and situations and I think um does a good job interrogating that so yeah I think I think that's a reason why this movie is something that you I feel like enjoy is the wrong word but you know what I mean I think I think that's one of the reasons why this why you enjoy this movie more than I do because I don't really relate to anything it, from this protagonist or really from Matt either like I think it's just a combination of a lot of things I think part of it is that I grew up in a big city and so I don't really have this dynamic of leaving the hometown to go somewhere bigger and dreamier because it's like that's just where I've always been so I don't really connect with that I also 
kind of like you asked before about high school like I don't really care about like, like <laughs> I'm like it happened cool I had some great friends like it was a good time but I've moved on like I you know so I feel like I don't know. I, I'm not really a person that dwells on the past. I'm a person that lives 100% in the future, which has its pros and cons for <laughs> sure. But I'm always uh-huh. like, what's the next thing? What can I do to change? How can I be better? How can I make my life better? How can I make things different? And I might not be able to accomplish those things, but I always have some sort of motivation or hope that like I'm working towards something better. I'm moving in the direction of something better. And if I'm not, I'm going to do my best to change my circumstance. And, um, and so I kind of live inside of my own bubble in that way, which again has its own pros and cons, but I feel like this movie ends in a way that ultimately is extremely hopeless. And I fight against that really hard in my life. I try really hard not to have a hopeless outlook. And if I do, I try to do what I can to get to a new phase of my life where I don't feel that way. And so I think this movie is just a struggle for me because I don't really relate to what is happening here in so many ways. I'm just like, everything this character does, I would do the opposite. <laughs> like, everything <laughs> I would do the opposite. Like, I yeah. just, you know, so because of that, I just, it's very hard for me to connect with it. Similar to what I was saying about you with Breaking Bad. It's like, I just hate this character so much. And because of that, I don't relate to them at all. So it's just harder for me to, again, it's not that I dislike this movie. It's just that my takeaway from it is very different from yours in that I'm not like, oh, I appreciate this film and I connect with it. It's like, I hate this character and I, I can see the artistic choices in this movie and appreciate it for those reasons. But the story itself, I just don't like, (laughs) you know, it's not that it's a bad story. It's just for me. I don't like it. It makes me yeah, really no, happy. <laughs> that makes total sense knowing you and where you're coming from and the way that you connect with movies. Because I feel like we've had this conversation a lot where I am often fascinated by characters where I don't necessarily relate to them in the sense that I think I'm just like that. But there is some darkness within that character, some something that makes them villainous that is compelling to me. Whereas I feel like for you, you find it a lot harder to relate to a character that you try find, relate or connect to a character that you find truly villainous, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, but like that kind of drives me. Character too. Would you? Would you it, say it also depends on the character too? You know. Mm. Yeah. Do you, are there like examples of like truly villainous characters where you're like, this person is bad, but also they speak to something in me, and I find it really compelling. Walter White. <laughs> well okay not yeah that fair I enough cook crystal meth but there's definitely <laughs> things about walter white i would say don yeah. draper as well you know there's mm. there's there's quite a few out there um but i don't know why i'm only thinking of tv shows right now but um you know I, and i even think about things like you know like pulp fiction there's a lot of mm. <laughs> like, terrible people a lot of terrible people in, in that, that movie, movie. Yeah. but i but i love them for some reason but that yeah. movie's also a lot more fun than this movie in my opinion Pulp Fiction isn't depressing in my opinion but anyway yeah it just Mm -hmm. it depends on lots of different things like what's the vibe of the story and Mm -hmm. all of that but anyway that makes sense all right, so moving on to the awards and of uh, that this movie received. So it did not get any Oscar nominations, which is is a shame, especially costume like, design. It deserved it. No, 
some acting could have definitely could have gotten in there screenplay Charlize Theron does not get nominated enough she really does not kind of bothers yeah. me yeah that's fine I'm actually I should have looked up like what did get nominated this year because I don't remember 2011 being a particularly great year for Oscar nominations but I'm not gonna look that up now um however this movie did get nominated for the Golden Globe for Best Actress it also got Critics Choice uh, Awards nominations for Best Actress Best Supporting Actor and Best Screenplay so it got some recognition even if it wasn't Oscar recognition um, critical response for this movie was very good. Metacritic has it at 71. Rotten Tomatoes has it at 80%. And I've pulled two critical quotes, um, or critics quotes about this movie. So the first is Dan Coy from Slate Magazine, and he writes, What I enjoyed most about Young Adult is how it functions as an anti-romantic comedy. Scenes from the rom-com playbook, Meet Cute, The Big Confession, The First Kiss, The Pep Talk from a Friend, turn skewed and absurd thanks to Mavis's appalling lack of self-awareness. Audiences aren't likely to embrace Young Adult. After the screening I attended, everyone in the elevator other than me was visibly angry about the movie they just watched. (laughs) Did I I write this review? (laughs) I know. (laughs) But I admired Young Adult for its chutzpah and thereon for her go-for-broke performance. Most of all, I rejoiced in Diablo Cody's deft, funny, angry script, where Juno hit a conventional story under its jargon-studded, ostensibly subversive surface. Young Adult is genuinely radical and hamburger phone-free. I'm happy that Cody has mined her own obsessions with teenagedom and her experience of being a minor celebrity and turned it into something spikier and more uncompromising than I would have expected. I'm keeping my fingers crossed for Cody's happiness, but boy was I fascinated by Mavis's misery. I almost completely agree with that review. That was great. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that one. I love the, the idea of everyone getting off the elevator just being so angry about that what they just mean. watched. That's why it's fun to see movies in the theater. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the other review I pulled uh, is from um, Lisa Mullen on the BFI website. And this is a movie where I, I actually really disagree with what she's writing, but I thought it was really an interesting take. Because I think she's kind of misinterpreting the movies. Well, I'll I'll just read it. So she writes, uh, she's writing about the ironic contrast between Mavis and Matt. And she says, it gives the film its unusual texture. It makes the first two acts fascinating and cathartic to watch. But when you finished hooting at the awfulness of Mavis's bitch from hell act, and the film starts moving toward its revolution, resolution, it starts to look a lot less subversive. By giving Mavis all the best lines and jolting the film out of the rut of genre expectation, Cody almost allows us to root for the bad girl. But how can that be when her chosen love interest is a happily married man with a new baby? No, Mavis must be punished after all. She must be exposed as a fake, even her hair as a cheat, and put back in her fictional box. Instead of frail flesh and blood, she becomes an Aunt Sally, there to embody the fears of proper, normal husbands and wives, to be repeatedly knocked down and then ritually killed. Like Glenn Close in Fatal Attraction, she's the predatory single woman as monster. A monster with jokes, a monster with a gradually revealed backstory, maybe, but a monster all the same. I think she missed the point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm glad it's not just me, because I really... I mean, I'm she's a, little... a monster, but aside yeah. from that, I'm like, I don't know if I agree she's, with this. Yeah, she's definitely a monster, but I don't... I think that she's sort of misinterpreting the way that the movie is um, yeah. I interacting don't think this with Mavis as a character. I don't rooting for her at all. Yeah, it's not rooting for her, but it also, I think, I think the film itself has empathy for Mavis, even as it's you know kind of presenting the her her delusions very honestly so 
I, I don't think it becomes as cartoonish as this review presents. Anyway, yeah. I just thought that was interesting. All right. Final thoughts. Well, I already kind of gave my final <laughs> thoughts, but yeah, I do really love this movie. Again, it's one that I've revisited many times over the years. I don't necessarily watch it once a year, but you know, I'll rewatch it every couple of years. And I just think as I get older, you know, I'm in my early 30s now. As I enter my later 30s, I think it'll just kind of continue to resonate and gain depth in certain ways. Um, so, yeah, I I really do like it. Um, I would love to. I've seen Juno, but I would like to see more of Diablo Cody's work. I think she's a really excellent writer and has some really and a really interesting voice. And I'm excited to see her explore more things about womanhood and girlhood and growing up. So, yeah, any any final thoughts or any takeaway that you think you might have just on this rewatch? Honestly, just kind of like that review said, I'm angry. This movie made me mad. <laughs> uh, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think I think that that means the movie was successful in terms of the emotions that it was trying to communicate. Um, but that being said, I definitely came out of this. So I was like, well, I'm not happy. <laughs> yeah. It did its job. It was yep. provocative. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at yourpickpod at gmail.com. Our theme song was composed by Joel Rushton, and our podcast graphic was designed by Kara Shin. If you like this show and want to hear more, please rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We're excited to have you on this journey with us. Until next time. Bye.